Calvary stands an endless mercy tree. Every broken, weary soul find your rest and be made whole. Stripes of blood that stained its frame shed to wash away our shame from the scars pure love released salvation by the mercy tree in the sky between two thieves hung the blameless prince of peace Bruised and battered, scarred and scorned, sacred head pierced by our thorns. It is finished, was his cry. The perfect lamb was crucified, his sacrifice, our victory. Our Savior chose the mercy tree. Hope went dark that violent day. The whole earth quaked at love's display. Three days silent in the ground. This body born for heaven's crown. On that bright and glorious day, when heaven opened up the grave, he's alive and risen indeed. Oh, praise him for the mercy tree. Death has died, love has won. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus Christ has overcome, he has risen from the dead. One day soon we'll see his face, and every tear he'll wipe away. No more pain or suffering. Oh, praise him for that mercy tree. Death has died, love has won. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus Christ has overcome. He has risen from the dead. Death has died, love has won. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus Christ has overcome. He has risen from the dead. On a Calvary stands an endless mercy tree. Amen. I hope.
hope you have enjoyed not just the beautiful music, but the amazing truth that is represented in those songs. What a wonderful, wonderful service so far. We're going to go ahead and dismiss children at this time, four years old to fourth grade. They'll head on out to uh, their service. They'll be taking time uh, this Sunday to go through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so we'll be in prayer for them that the Lord will use the gospel to save our children. While they're headed out, I want to say a thank you to those of you who prayed for Calvary Christian School's senior class as they traveled out to Utah. Uh, we had a wonderful time, and uh, some of those students had never seen anything quite like that, topography, uh, there in southern Utah, but we went to a couple national parks, and uh, it was amazing just to see the, the hand of God and his creation and the devastation of the flood and how it could create such beauty yet. Uh, however, that's nothing compared to what we're going to study this morning when it comes to the amazing work of God. And uh, so we thank you for praying. We had a wonderful time. Nobody got hurt too badly, and uh, I made it back alive, so it was, it was successful that way. This morning, as we get started, we want to take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. If you think of any scripture in the Bible that gives us the theology of resurrection... And what it means beyond the resurrection, it's this chapter in 1 Corinthians. And so I would just encourage you that you would not just listen to it today, but that you would go home and study it. Today would be a wonderful day to set time aside uh, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and recognize the beautiful truth of a resurrected Savior and what it means not just for the past, not just for today, but there is coming a day when all of this will culminate, and we are one year closer than we were a year ago. That's math right there, all right? <clears throat> we are. This has been a, a long year in a sense. There's been a lot of happenings this year, and we are one, we are one year closer to glory. We are one year closer to exaltation. We are one year closer to standing with our risen Lord face to face. And I hope that excites you as we celebrate his resurrection again. What a day for rejoicing as we look forward to that second coming of Jesus Christ. Time seems to be speeding up. Uh, you may not think that by the end of the service, but uh, man, it just seems to be speeding up. Uh, the, my kids are growing up and talking to people about the age of my kids and college and those things. Just You start recognizing that time doesn't stop. It may seem to have slowed down for the past year, but it's not. It's moving, and it's moving to an expected and designed end. And that is what our Savior rose to accomplish. Well, we've heard the good news. We've sung about the good news. And so this morning, I want us to take some time here in 1 Corinthians 15 to see what the good news means for us today and moving forward. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church to combat disbelief. Specifically, disbelief about a few things. Number one, the resurrection of Christ. We're going to see as we read through the passage, it's going to, he repeatedly is going to talk about what would happen or what's, what's the problem with that view. If Christ hadn't risen from the dead, he'll come to a point where he says, we are, we are of men most miserable. He also is combating the false teaching that the believer would not be raised. It was interesting this, this week as I was... Uh, on Facebook, there's a Calvary graduate who has denied Jesus Christ and the resurrection and almost daily posting stuff about how foolish it was to believe in a resurrection. 
My body's just going to go into the ground and rot. And it was almost like he was trying to convince himself that there's nothing beyond death. Why would he post day in and day out to others about the fact that there is no resurrection? Paul here is combating that idea. If Christ raised, you as a believer will be raised. In fact, unbelievers will be raised as well to a much different end. Lastly, Paul is combating unbelief about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And yes, these three things are so closely tied together. We would say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin of all Christian teaching. If Christ does not raise from the dead, all Christian theology just falls apart. A linchpin is something that holds something together. As I used to have a lawn business, there was a linchpin in the front tire. And you would take that pin out and adjust it. And if that pin ever fell out, you'd be in trouble. And so one day, my brother forgot to put it back in. We were cutting a lady's yard. I hit a bump. The wheel went under the mower. Then the wheel proceeded to go out of the mower and through her bay window. Yes, that's what happens to Christianity when you remove the gospel. It falls apart. It's, it can't be true. The resurrection is a linchpin of theology and Christian teaching. This is an exciting chapter, though. Paul confronts this unbelief in verse 20, which you've already heard read, says this, but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. We're going to jump all over this chapter, so I, I, I hope you'll stay with me here. Jump down to, to 1 Corinthians 15.55. The end of the chapter, Paul makes some amazing claims based on verse 20. If Christ is alive, Christ is alive, and he becomes the first of all who will be raised. Then it says in verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A defense of the resurrection and return of Jesus Christ plays a major part in understanding and living out the gospel daily. And so what I'd like to do this morning is tie the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter to help us understand the beauty of the gospel of resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. Paul lays out a beautiful defense of the gospel starting in verse 1. Listen to what he says and follow along if you have your Bible. Verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, until the, unless ye have believed in vain. And then he gives us an outline that we're going to follow. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you first all that which I re also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What I'd like to do is take that brief outline of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, and he was buried, and he rose the third day as an outline for, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The, the strength of sin is the law. Look what it says here. First of all, it says Christ died for our sin. The sting of death is sin. You know the verse, Romans 3 or 6.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Excuse me, 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were promised 
that they would die. God told them, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Hebrew words coming together says, dying you will die. They died spiritually, but they would also die physically. You see, the sting or, or the sting of sin is death. They sinned and they must die. The Bible broadens that understanding in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 from Adam and Eve and says this, whereas, or wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam and Eve sinned and have experienced the sting of death. You have sinned. You have sinned. And apart from Christ, you will suffer the sting of death. The sting of death damns men eternally. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, judgment. Sin brings judgment. The sting of sin is the judgment of death, death in hell. And since all have sinned, and sin disqualifies man from heaven in the presence of God, 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. There's something about our condition that disqualifies us from heaven in the presence of God, and it is the sting of sin, death. Death becomes the the result of sin, the promised result of sin. Romans chapter 5, if you, if you would, I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 5. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 5 and, uh, quite a bit during the service to bring this out. But I'm going to read the first half of, a, of four ver- five verses that teaches us the sting of death. Romans 5.17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense... Of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedient, many were made sinners. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And verse 21, that as sin has reigned unto death. Now, the beautiful part is we only read half of each one of those verses. You see, the sting of sin is death. The sting of death is fatal. There's no, it's not a temporary bee sting. I was uh, I had in this lawn business I had. Uh, we were mowing a yard, and there was this two rocks in the ground, and there was a hole, and I saw bees coming in and out of it. And so I thought, well, it would be a genius thing to do to get rid of those bees. And so I took my lawn mower and just placed it over that hive. And just in my mind, I envisioned all these hornets coming out and getting cut in half by my lawnmower blade and being disposed of in the grass bag. And it was awesome. It worked great until I emptied that grass bag and realized that the uh, lawnmower blade hadn't done its job. I walked away with a number of bee stings. But they're temporary and they go away. When we're talking about the sting of death, we're talking about the deadly sting of a poisonous bite from the serpent, the bite of sin. All men have been mortally bit. There is no antidote for this mortal wound. 
Listen to the helpless condition spoken about in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17. It says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep or dead in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Last week as we traveled around southern Utah, we saw many, many churches just like here in South Carolina, people in Utah are very religious. However, these churches were not Christian churches. They were Mormon churches. By the way, as we went around southern Utah, it was an interesting cultural shift. Families were together. Big families were together. Husband and wife and kids with other husband and wife and kids. And, and some of the kindest people we'd ever met I mean, dressed nicely, doing family activities together, and happy. But I tell you, these people are trying to atone for their sin by their works. And you cannot undo the mortal bite of sin by being good. Unfortunately, in the Mormon community out there, there's also a very high rate of suicide. Because as a man seeks to make himself acceptable to God, he can't do it. All have sinned and fallen short, way short, not even close. Just think of yourself and you'll recognize how short man falls. You are a sinner and you are a huge sinner. And I don't even know you. But if you're anything like me, you have sinned and fallen very short of perfection. And it doesn't matter how well together your family looks. It doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. If you do not have the true healing that can come only through Christ's resurrection, you cannot be saved from that mortal bite of sin. Death comes to all. In fact, he says this, listen, if, if we only have hope in Jesus Christ, if our hope in Jesus Christ is only good for living on this planet, we're idiots. Why are we not living it up? On our way out there, we flew into Las Vegas. We didn't tell a lot of people that because senior trip going to Las Vegas doesn't sound good for a Christian school. But we had to get into an airport. So we flew into Las Vegas. And let me just tell you there, people are living it up. People are living it up. But I'll tell you, if if Christians only have hope in Christ for, for this life, how foolish. Let's go to Vegas. But, it says in the next verse, Christ is alive. But Christ is alive, and he has come to remove the sting of death. Christ is now risen from the dead and become the first fruits, or the first one that will lead many people in resurrection. The poison of sin is taken away. The deadly fangs of the great serpent have been crushed and rendered powerless. The sting of sin was removed by the life and death of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15 says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, that's Adam, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So we read verse 17 through 21, and we only read half the verse. 
The first half of the verse talks about man's condition, but the second verse, the second half of each of these verses talks about the fact that Jesus Christ died and is alive. Listen to what it says. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, that is Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto the obedient, unto the justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, that is Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Oh, but Jesus Christ is alive. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see it? Man is helplessly lost. Man is helplessly wounded in sin. And death is the result of sin. But one came and lived a perfect life. And he died to take away the sting of sin. Paul comes to the end of that chapter. He says, oh, death, where is thy sting? And the truth is that Jesus took that sting on the cross for all who would believe. Sin's wages have been paid. The debt of sin against a holy God is canceled. The sting of sin has been removed. Jesus paid it all. Let me just remind you this morning, if you have a hard time entering into these truths, all you need to do is think about your own sin. As we sat in a Christian service last Sunday in Utah, the pastor got up and he said, Listen, I, Paul says that he was the worst sinner he knew, but Paul didn't know me. I must be the worst sinner because I know my own sin." And when he said that, I, it reverberated in my heart, and I said, no, no, pastor, you don't know this guy. You know, if you would just take some time to consider your own heart's condition, you recognize how sinful you are. Even good things that we do, we do for selfish motives. Even righteous works that we think look good, we do for self-glorification, and we do out of pride. We can twist anything into sin. And we do. But Jesus paid it all. What a wonderful Savior. He offers that gift freely. So it says there that Jesus died for sin. But look what it says next. It says, and was buried. And I want to tie this to the phrase at the end of the chapter that says, the strength of sin is the law. You see, there is no mercy in law. We talked about this a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. The statue of justice, that, or the statue that represents justice at the American Supreme Court is a lady with a blindfold on and a scale in one hand. And in the other hand, she wields a sword. There's no mercy in the law. The law can only do one thing, and that, well, two things. It can either pronounce righteous or condemn. Romans 7, 7, Paul said it this way, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law hath said, Thou shalt not covet. 
Verse 8, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of lust. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which, is, which was ordained to life, I found it to be unto death. Listen, this is, this is you reading the Ten Commandments and looking at yourself. The law enters and you have violated every single one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Wait a second, is it one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder? I haven't murdered anybody. Ha! What does Jesus tell us? Jesus tells us if you hate your brother, if you have hatred in your heart, you are a murderer. Well, I haven't committed adultery. Jesus said if you look on someone to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus didn't get rid of the law. He showed us how intense that law is. It comes to the heart of man and exposes us as sinners. We have broken every one of the Ten Commandments. And the law pronounces us guilty. And the guilty must die. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, judgment. Jesus was buried to break the strength of the law. One commentator said it this way, The law stirs into active life man's rebellion. You understand this? You've never in your life had a true desire to touch wet paint until when? Yeah, until you saw the sign. Wet paint, don't touch. I mean, come on, I was just on a flight, and they said, I think about a thousand times, please wear your mask. It is required by the state of Utah that you wear a mask. And took that thing off. Tell me to wear a mask. I am an American. <laughs> That's what the stewardess did when I took my mask off. She laughed at me. And, right? And, and, so, and so there's something in man. Maybe it's not wet paint for you. Maybe it's not mask wearing for you. But there's something in you that when you realize the, 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 there's a prohibition, something in you says, no, I will. And you won't tell me. That is the sinful nature of man. That's the law arising and, 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 and condemning us because of our hearts. And, and by the way, you may wear a mask. I wore a mask, but I wore it under my chin, you know, to save everybody from getting neck hair on them, I guess. I don't know. And they come by, they're like, sir, please wear your mask over your mouth. And so I put it up over my mouth. They're like, sir, please cover your nose. Fine. So I pull it all the way up just over my nose, you know, and I, I didn't really do that. This is, this is my, I mean, I, you tell me not, I mean, we went hiking down this trail, and I never would have gone off the trail except for these little signs that had a hiking footprint and an X through it. And I'm like, hey, kids, you want to go? Let's go. There's, I'm a rebel. And I'm a rebel because the law enters, and what the law does when it enters, it exposes the sinful heart of man. Adam and Eve broke God's law, and therefore... The law of death entered. You have broken God's law, and the law of death enters. The law can't save sinners. The law can only save the righteous, and there was only one righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. Look at our plight. The law activates sin. Sin activates death. The law of sin is the one great law of human behavior, which explains why people do what they did why they do what they do. And so Jesus came and died for our sin and was buried. 
to take the punishment and the judgment of the law. How was the strength of the law broken? Christ fulfilled the law. He lived it perfectly. He never lost it. He never committed adultery. He never hated. He never murdered. He never profaned the name of God. He never coveted. Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet he died a sinner's death. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture, says this, For he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, there was an exchange. Christ's righteousness for my sin. I love how the last verse of the song, His Robes for Mine, states this truth. He says this, His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ, God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He as though I accursed and left alone. I as though he embraced and welcomed home. Jesus died for prodigal sons like Mark Rowland. Jesus died for rebels like Mark Rowland. The law condemns, but Jesus Christ's death and burial frees me through grace and makes me acceptable to God. Christ paid for my sin. He took on my death. This is what I don't understand about Mormonism. Mormonism rejects that Jesus is truly God. And if Jesus is not truly God, he cannot offer an infinite sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. But because Jesus is God and he is infinitely righteous and he is an infinite person, he can infinitely pay for your sin and my sin and all who call upon the name of the Lord. What an amazing Savior we have. Christ paid for my sin, and he took on my death, and he was buried for my sin. But remember, this is Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Romans 8, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, and it hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now listen, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. We're sinners. The law can't make us righteous because we keep breaking it. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of death. The third part of that statement at the beginning of the chapter says, and the third day rose again, and this is where we would tie it to the part in the last part of the chapter that says, death is swallowed up in victory. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof of the victory over law, over sin, and over death. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God is the giver of this victory. 2 Corinthians 5.18, look at it. 2 Corinthians, different book. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, 
and have given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, listen, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God is the giver of this victory. God was in Christ making me acceptable to him. I didn't do anything. I can't make myself acceptable to God. God did that work through Jesus Christ. He reconciled us to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Think of your sin. No, not, not the stuff that you would like people to know. Well, yeah, I, I struggle with, sometimes I'm proud. No, be honest about the wickedness of your sin, the perversion of your sin, the greed of your sin, the hate of your sin. And recognize that God took all of that and did not place it on your account, but put it on Christ. All of it. All sin on Christ as he hung on that cross. Victory over death because we are now righteous. This giving is continual. It says, thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory. The word giveth is a word that start, has a beginning, but it means a continual action. Jesus, or God, continues to give us victory over death and over hell and over sin and over the law. Victory over these things is now through Christ Jesus. Though the law could only condemn, Jesus gives abundant grace that continues Victory over sin is now how? It is through Jesus Christ. Verse 17. Therefore, of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. The victory in a Christian's life is something that is daily and continual because Jesus is alive. Victory over death is now too. We, if you've been in our morning services as we go through John, we've made the statement over and over and over again. Mark Rowland will not die. And when I went to Utah, I made sure I said that before I went. In case anything happened. Right? And I said that. We did try to do some stuff that, was, uh, that would make this illustration a lot more poignant as I lay here in a casket. But thankfully, the Lord preserved my life. But if you ever stand at my funeral, come up to my casket and yell it at me. Mark Rowland is not dead. He will never die. Remember what John 11 says? Do you remember what it says in John eleven twenty five? Jesus said unto her, this would be Mary and Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. But he goes beyond that and he says, whosoever liveth and believeth in me, shall never die. You see, Christ defeated the sting of death. Christ defeated the strength of the law. And because of that, the day that this corrupted body stops working, there will be no death for me. I will be ushered into eternal life because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. 
It's interesting, at the end of that verse, when Jesus is talking to Martha, he says, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he says this, Do you believe? Believest thou this? My question to you this morning is this. You can, you can dress up nice on Easter morning. You can even post a picture of your family on Facebook where it looks like you're all getting along. We'll do that later on today. Right? That doesn't mean nothing. There's a whole culture out in Utah that's doing that same thing who have no life. They have no life beyond the grave. The grave is going to bring them before the judgment. And their sin will condemn them to hell because Christ is not their savior. Christ is not their life. They've depended on their works. They've depended on their morality. They've depended on going to the church and and raising their kids to be respectful. And that doesn't save you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that it is he who took on your sin? Do you believe that it is he who was buried and rose again the third day so that you could stand before God justified? Do you believe? 1 Corinthians 15 is the primary passage that connects Jesus' resurrection also to his second coming. You see, Jesus is coming a second time, and this time without sin, it says. And what that means is Jesus' second return, he will not come as Savior. He will come as exalted Lord. And every knee, whether it's a believing knee or an unbelieving knee, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I tell you this, believer, we will bow our knees and confess that he is not just our Lord, but also our Savior. Saved from death, saved from sin, saved from the law, saved from the grave. That's our Savior. He is coming again. And so I would ask you this. Believest thou this? There is nothing more important about this day than the answer to that question. You may have sat in church for 50 years. That will not get you into heaven. You may have grandkids that love Jesus that won't get you into heaven. You may have gone to this Christian school that definitely won't get you into heaven. There's only one way. Through faith in the work, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I would plead with you this morning. Do you believe in a resurrected Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Come in flesh to take on your sin You don't need to think of anybody else's sin this morning. You have enough of your own. Are you trusting in Christ alone to save you from your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone as your resurrection? 
You may not understand all the theology of it. You may not understand where all these verses can be found to go back and study it. But I'm just asking you this morning, if you were to die today and stand before your creator, and he were to look you in the eye and ask you, why would I let you into heaven? How would you answer that? How would you answer that? You see, it's appointed unto man once to die. You will die. And the law will condemn you. There's only one answer to that question. I am trusting in Christ alone. By his grace alone. Through faith alone. For salvation. It it doesn't matter how good or bad you have been at this point. Because we've all fallen short. It doesn't matter if you're in elementary school or if you're on the other end of the scale. How would you answer that this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice that in Christ we have full and free salvation. We thank you, Lord, for coming as a baby living a perfect life, fulfilling the law, achieving righteousness. Lord, we thank you for that life, but Lord, we thank you for your death, that substitutionary death where you hung on a cross, not for your own sin, not even because of the the wickedness of those men that day. Lord, you hung on that cross for Mark Rowland's sin. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that you did not come off that cross, but you experienced the full wrath of God on my sin. Thank you for giving your life for me. We praise you this morning, Lord, that you did not stay in the grave, but you are God. You are the all-powerful God. You are the giver of life. We thank you that that power of sin and the law and death and hell could not hold you. But that in victory you were raised. Lord, we thank you that your resurrection guarantees that we too will rise. So Lord, we put our faith and trust not in men, not in ourselves, our own works. We put our trust in Christ alone. We thank you for the grace that you have given to those who trust in you. Lord, I pray this morning that as we consider what that means for us today, that we would leave this place this morning living in the reality of your resurrection and recognizing that soon, Lord, you will return. Lord, we thank you that Your resurrection was a fulfillment of your first coming, but it was also a promise of your second coming. Lord, help us to be prepared and to be eagerly anticipating that joyous return. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the choir to assemble behind me. We're going to end our service with a song, but before we do... I'm going to finish the message.
You thought you were done. Listen to this. Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection become the guarantee of his return. In fact, it teaches us, it teaches us how we should live, knowing that because he is alive, he is returning. So I'm going to read a bunch of verses, and I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself. This is not speaking of Jesus' first coming. This is speaking of what could happen by the end of the day today. Wouldn't that be great? Listen to these verses. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about the second coming. And in verse 51 it says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this, in, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which give us, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of that day of victory where we will stand with Christ, Revelation says this in chapter 7, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sunlight on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and he shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And the city hath no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut all by day. For there is no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And there no need for candle, neither light of the sun, 
For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The end of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that because Christ is alive, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Go in that resurrection peace.